are going to open to Exodus 5. We're going to be in Exodus 5. And our goal today is to cover Exodus 5 through the end of chapter 11, which will take us to the 10th plague. As we opened the book of Exodus last week, we left off with Moses had an experience with God at a burning bush. And God told Moses that he was going to use him to deliver God's people, the Israelites, out of the hand of Pharaoh and rescue them from Egyptian slavery. And if you remember, as we finished off last week, Moses gave a list of excuses of why he wasn't the one. You know, who am I that I would stand before Pharaoh? You know, well, who am I going to tell them that, you know, appeared to me? What if they don't believe me? Um, Who are you, God, that that, that you're going to do this? And then, um, you know, finally just, God, is there anybody else? Is there anybody else that that could go? And so we found that finally Moses is convinced with uh, God's help and with the help of uh, Aaron, his brother, uh, that they will go to Pharaoh, that they will meet with Pharaoh, that God will be with them, and that the people of Israel would be delivered. But they wouldn't be delivered before Pharaoh's heart is hardened and God shows his power in the land of Egypt. So when we left off at the end of chapter 4, we see that Moses and Aaron were before the people. They had said what all God had told them and the people had believed them, that the Lord had visited them, the Lord had heard their prayer of affliction and that God had now come to deliver his people Israel. When we come to chapter 5, as we look at chapter 5, we have Moses and Aaron's first appearance before Pharaoh. So fresh off the victory that um, we see here with Moses and Aaron with God's people, because that's one thing Moses was afraid of. Well, they won't believe me. They won't accept my word. So after uh, that is proven as false, they did believe him. They did accept his word. Now they have their first audience with Pharaoh. And they make their first demand on the basis of God. Our God has told us this. So in verse number 1, it says, After, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So their words are being backed by the Lord. Let my people go. And listen to how they phrase their request or their demand, actually. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So they didn't come out and say, let my people go that we would be free, that we could go to our own nation. It was simply, let my people go that we may go and hold a feast in the wilderness. And Pharaoh responds with um, this response by saying, I don't know your God. I don't know your God, and no, you can't go into the wilderness. Get back to work. So as Moses and Aaron demand Israel be free to hold a feast in the wilderness, Pharaoh responds, I don't know your God. Get back to work. And then as he thought about it, he said, in fact, I'm going to make your work more difficult. So Pharaoh says, well, I'm going to tell the taskmasters that where they've been providing you straw, which straw was used in the mud mixture for the bricks to hold all the the materials together to make them stronger. And obviously the uh, Egyptians had been supplying Israel with 
the straw in order for them to make bricks. But now Pharaoh says, I'm not going to provide the straw anymore. They're going to have to go and find their own straw and still make the same number of bricks. So I'm going to increase their workload, make it harder for them to make bricks, but yet still maintain the same amount of bricks, which is going to make their work much harder. So in chapter 10, uh, he goes to the taskmasters, and the taskmasters enforce Pharaoh's orders. When we come down to the middle of that chapter in verse number 15 through 21, the foremen for Israel now question Pharaoh and Moses. And now one of Moses' fears is going to come to pass. Namely, you know, who am I that I could stand before Pharaoh? Well, he did stand before Pharaoh, and he said, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh says, no, get back to work, and I'm going to make it harder. So now Moses is like, okay, I'm obviously nobody now in Pharaoh's eyes. But in verse 19, I want to read this in verse number 19. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of your bricks, your daily task each day. They met with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the eyes of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword to their hand to kill us. So not only did the request or the demand fail before Pharaoh, now the own Israelites are now angry with Moses because Pharaoh has now made their work even more difficult. And then we see that as the foreman questioned Moses you know, and Pharaoh himself, now we find out that Moses turns around and questions God. So in verse 23 of chapter 5, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? He's like, see God, I told you, you shouldn't have sent me. I told you God from the beginning, this was a bad idea. Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. God, you said you're going to deliver your people. This didn't work. I told you so. God, this is terrible and you know, you're doing evil, and so Moses is in a bad spot just after this first meeting. Then we go to chapter 6, verse 1, and, uh, and honestly, chapter 6, verse 1 should be attached to the end of, of chapter 5. But anyway, um, chapter divisions weren't inspired. They were placed there later. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So God's response is, just wait and see. Just wait and see what I'm getting ready to do. Now as we move from chapter 6, verse 2 through chapter 6, what we find here is Moses is obviously discouraged. As he sees, well, God's plan isn't working out right now. As he's turned to God to blame God for this, God again, or God again gives Moses his divine call and the assurance of what he's going to do. So this entire section from Exodus chapter 2 all the way through chapter 7 verse 13, Exodus 6, 2 through 7, 13, 
reads like a repeat of chapters 3 through 6. So when you're reading chapter 6 and 7, you say, wait a minute, we've already gone through this before. But this is a repeating of Moses' call and commission. Moses is demoralized and needs a bit of encouragement. By reminding Moses of his experience at Sinai, God is assuring him that nothing has changed. This might be the shot in the arm that Moses needs, this reminder. When God says, I remember what I said, Moses. I remember the promise I made. I also remember what I've called you to do, and it will all work out in the end. Is basically what God is saying by repeating this call. So if you notice the insets here, the first thing we see is that God reveals the divine name Yahweh to Moses. So chapter 6, verse 2 is paralleled back with chapter 3, 13 through 15. The second thing is God announces that God has heard Israel's misery. He's heard their call. You see the parallels between 6, 5 and 3, 7 and 9. God tells Moses what he is to say to the Israelites. Then we have God also tells Moses what he will say to Pharaoh. Then Moses complains that he is a poor speaker. So we've seen this before. Aaron will be Moses' mouthpiece. Chapter 7, verses 1 and 2 say. And then a reiteration that God will harden Pharaoh's heart in 7, 3, and 4. So we really do have this retelling or repeating, this reassurance that Moses, nothing has changed. Everything is still the same and um, nothing is different. Then in the middle of chapter 6, we have a genealogy that is stuck there. If that's uh, just, it seems out of nowhere that there's a genealogy. Again, we have a good story going on in verses 13 when the Lord spake to Moses and Aaron gave them charge, Egypt. And then we have a genealogy that seems to be stuck right at the end of chapter 6 in the middle of this uh, conversation between God and, and Moses. But the genealogy... Um, is the only thing in the chapter that isn't a repeat of an earlier episode of The Burning Bush. The writer interrupts the flow of the story on purpose with a list of names to make sure we don't miss the fact that Aaron and his brother Moses are from the tribe of Levi, and therefore, essentially, they are acting as priests between God and Israel. So a lot of times, as we've seen in Genesis, even as we see here, as we will see later in the book of Chronicles, and in many other places, genealogies, even though they are tedious to us, they are there for a purpose. And it's usually to bring the reader back to confidence, either confidence in who they are as a people, uh, confidence in what God has done. Uh, it brings them back not just to confidence, but to identity. This is who we are. And that's kind of how this genealogy is used here. It's tying Moses and Aaron to the Levitical tribe. Uh, and this is even for generations later on that will go back and read the book of Exodus. For as we're familiar with the Israelite story, they will suffer greater, um, well, they will suffer other times of hardship. Uh, in fact, one of the you know, speculations, if you will, for the 10 plagues, and we'll talk about those in a moment, is God dealing with the false gods of Egypt. And they're seeing God's power on display, not just to deliver Israel, but to defeat the gods of Egypt. Uh, 
Well, soon Israel will be in the land of Canaan and they'll be surrounded by nations that are worshiping other gods. So it can also be used kind of as a, um, a telling of the Israelites, don't worship other gods. Don't be carried away with the gods of the nations surrounding you because these gods are nothing compared to Yahweh. They are nothing compared to your God. So the scriptures are even used to teach future generations. So, you know, when you have the children of Israel go off into exile, in Babylonian exile, uh, they will look back at, you know, the words of scripture. And they will say, well, if God delivered his people then, well, God can deliver us back from the hand of, say, Babylon or He'll gather us back out of the the scattered nations of the earth. So, you know, these genealogies can go back and replay. So in in Chronicles, when when there's a whole list going back to the very beginning, uh, you find that that list there is to give the people that are in a foreign land an identity of who they were before they went into captivity. So the purpose of this genealogy seems to be... uh, when you go to verse 25, that these are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans. So the Levites would be priests, that would be mediators between God and Israel. And that's what Moses and Aaron are going to be. They're going to be mediators, if you will, between God and Israel. So again, it's, it's bringing people back to faith, not missing this point that they are from the tribe of Levi, and therefore will be identified with priesthood. In Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 through 13, now we have the second showdown and the second appearance in front of Pharaoh. Aaron and Moses are ready to confront Pharaoh a second time. The author wastes little time getting to the action. Aaron throws his staff on the ground in front of Pharaoh and it turns into a serpent. Interesting that Aaron is throwing his staff on the ground here when that was Moses' call before. Um, And then when the staff is turned into a serpent, Pharaoh summons his magicians or sorcerers to do the same because Egypt had these magicians, sorcerers that could also perform miracles empowered by their gods. So Pharaoh brings his sorcerers, and guess what? They do the same. Their staffs turn into serpents. But then something amazing happens. And that's Aaron's staff, or his serpent, swallows up Pharaoh's sorcerer's serpents, showing that God, their God, is greater. When you go back to the ancient world, you know, and even back to, to wars, it was if a nation won the war, their gods were, were stronger, and you know, every nation had gods, as we saw in, in Genesis. So you have Egypt and their gods, and then you have Uh, Israel and their God, Yahweh, who is now being put on display in front of the whole world as the greater God. So even though the magicians and the sorcerers can perform some of the miracles and some of the signs that we see, they will not be able to keep up at all. Uh, Of course, snakes in uh, Egypt uh, are signs of power. Uh, Pharaoh even uh, had serpents and snakes on the headdresses. Uh, that he wore. So Aaron's snakes eating their snakes signify that Egypt is doomed and Pharaoh was angry and would not listen to them. 
So then after this second appearance before Pharaoh, whereas then Pharaoh's heart was hardened, which we we are now told twice that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. When we pick up in 7.14, we start with the ten plagues. Uh, Pharaoh, his heart is hardened. He refused to free the Israelites uh, because at first he had no idea who Yahweh was. But he's about to find out who Yahweh is. And he's about to find out in a big way who the God of the Israelites is. Uh, And then he'll have a different uh, opinion of Yahweh when this is all over. I put a note here because I I like to kind of tie things back to to Genesis as we've seen. In Genesis 12, 17, when Abraham and Sarah traveled to Egypt to find relief from the famine, Pharaoh uh, unknowingly took uh, Sarah, that he did not know was the wife of Abraham, um, and he was inflicted with serious diseases. This was a foreshadowing of what will take place here in Exodus. However, whereas the episode over Sarah was unpleasant for Pharaoh and his household, it was nothing like the experience of the later Pharaoh who had to deal with the ten plagues. So as this confrontation came to a dramatic climax, um, we see the struggle now is not just between national representatives, Moses and Pharaoh, but essentially against the gods of Egypt versus the god of Israel. And we're going to pick up on that in a few moments. But let's go through these ten plagues. Um, one of the first things that, that you'll notice about the, the ten plagues, and I think there's a chart on the next page. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll just, well, go, go to the chart first. Go to the next page and there's a chart. The ten plagues are structured in a certain way. There are three groups of three And then you have the final plague. And they're structured this way because of the headings that you see here. First of all, you have have three series of three. The first three plagues, blood, frogs, and lice or gnats. Depends on your, your translation there. The first two in each series comes with a forewarning. That they will give Pharaoh a warning of what is coming. The third one in each series has no warning. It is just on surprise. So number one and number two have a warning. Uh, There is no warning on the third. Uh, The fourth and the fifth have a warning. There is no warning on the sixth. The seventh and the eighth have a warning. There's no warning on the ninth. And then the time of the warning, uh, the first one in each series, it says in the morning they went to Pharaoh, in the morning. The second and third one, we are not told of a specific time when the warning came. It's that way in each of the three. In the morning, on the first, fourth, and seventh, and no time indication of when the warning came on the second, uh, fifth, and eighth, and then, of course, no warning on the third, sixth, and ninth. And then you have the instruction. Uh, Station yourself or stand on the first, fourth, and Seventh, Uh, go to Pharaoh, second, fifth, eighth, and then none on the third, sixth, and ninth. And then then you see the agent, which, um, you know, the first three are Aaron. Uh, Two out of the next three are God, and then Moses on the sixth, and then the next three are Moses. And then it all climaxes with the tenth. So, you know, scholars have pointed out a literary form here that you find 
in the plagues here. Which at the end of the day, what does that mean? I don't know, but it's interesting to look at because it makes for a neat little chart. Um, but it does show God is a God of, of order. And to me, it shows that God is in control of this and nothing is out of his hand. Nothing at all is out of his hand. Uh, so let's go back to the previous page and look at each of the um, plagues very quickly. So the first cycle of plagues, the first cycle of plagues. First one is the Nile turns to blood. This is from 714 to 725. And then it just gives a brief synopsis of what happens. Obviously, we can't read everything. Uh, Pharaoh was warned at the Nile. The f- water was struck with Aaron's staff, turning the Nile into blood and all the waters of Egypt into blood. Uh, the sorcerers, I don't know why they would want to, but they perform the same sign. And Pharaoh's heart becomes hard. Secondly, we have frogs. Pharaoh warned of Pharaoh is warned of frogs. Aaron stretched out his staff over the waters of Egypt, and the land was covered in frogs. The sorcerers performed the same sign. Pharaoh agreed to let the people go, sacrifice if the frogs were taken away, but then later hardened his heart. The third one is gnats or lice. You'll see both terms used depending on what you're reading. Uh, Aaron stretched uh, his staff over the dust and it became uh, gnats. The wizards, the sorcerers, the magicians failed to produce the sign and acknowledge God's power. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. So the Israelite magicians, they were able to keep up for two uh, signs and then, they're, and then they give up. They can't do that anymore. So that's the first three. Frogs, gnats, lice, and uh, now turning to blood. The second cycle of plagues, the fourth is flies. Pharaoh is warned uh, at the Nile in Goshen. The plague came. Pharaoh suggested they sacrifice in Egypt close by, but later hardened his heart. So I think altogether there's like kind of four concessions that Pharaoh was willing to make, but then ultimately his heart is hardened. Because if you remember, God said, I will be the one to harden Pharaoh's heart. Like with the, you know, with the previous incidences in Genesis, You know, when a little hardship came to the Pharaoh, they let Moses, I mean, they let Abraham and Sarah go. They didn't want to deal with it. Well, we see here that even Pharaoh was willing to make some concessions along the way, but every time his heart was hardened. And God told Moses that's what was going to happen because God is going to be unrelenting on the Egyptians and on Egypt. He's going to be unrelenting in showing his power and justice from how they, the Israel, I mean the Egyptians throughout the years, had enslaved and treated the people. And especially when the Pharaoh we saw in the first chapter, you know, was going to kill all the male children and then have all the male children thrown into the Nile River. Uh, so God is not going to relent until he completes uh, all of these plagues. Uh, so there's four concessions, but yet at the end of that, Pharaoh hardens his heart and does not do these things. Uh, the fifth plague, the death of livestock, Pharaoh warned that God will strike Egypt's uh, livestock while protecting Israel's. The plague came, and though Pharaoh saw the distinction, because a lot of these plagues made distinctions, some would just come upon the Egyptians and not upon the Israelites. All the livestock of the Egyptians would be killed, 
none would be killed from the Israelites to show the difference uh, that the Israelites are Yahweh's people, that they are not just a group of slaves with some desert God who can't do anything, that this is the true God and these are his people. Also, even though he saw the distinction, his heart was unyielding. The sixth plague is bulls. Moses and Aaron threw dust in the air and bulls spread on the people and the cattle. Uh, the sorcerers could not come before Moses because they had bulls. Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then the third cycle of plagues, the seventh is hail. In chapter 9, 13 through 25, Pharaoh is given a morning warning. Moses stretched his staff to the sky and the storm began. Pharaoh confessed his sin and promised to let the people go if the hail was stopped. But later he hardened his heart. Then the eighth plague is the locust, chapter 10. Pharaoh was warned again. Pharaoh's servants asked him to let the men go. And Pharaoh suggested that, the only, that only the men go and worship. Moses stretched his staff over the land, and the locusts came. Pharaoh confessed his sin and asked for the plague to be removed. But later, Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then the last in the three series of three, darkness. Moses stretched his hand to the sky, and darkness fell. Except in Goshen, where the Israelites were. Pharaoh agreed to let go all the people, but not the animals. So another concession. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. So you see the purpose here. And the purpose here is God's supremacy and power over the greatest nation on the face of the earth at the time and over their gods, over Pharaoh who was like a god and a god to Egypt, but is nothing compared to the god of the Israelites. And again, he's, God is going to show that in a powerful way. Um, so we looked at kind of the structure here. Let's go down to the judgments on the gods of Egypt, as we've talked about. Uh, the Egyptian magicians, initially able to mimic the plague sent by Yahweh, are quickly bested. And Yahweh's defeat of the magicians is tantamount to the defeat of the gods of Egypt. So, and, and I will just say this, because I th- I'm pretty sure we touched on this in Genesis. Uh, but the ancient world is such an interesting world to navigate in and, and to read about. It, it's nothing like the world we live in now. And it's not, nothing like the world when Jesus was on the earth and um, when you're dealing with the ancient Near East, as you said, you have nations all around, and every nation had gods. So Israel has always had one God, Yahweh. However, I believe this, the Scripture is pretty clear that even though Israel only had one God, they obviously, at that time in history, believed and recognized that there were many gods in the world. Every nation had a god. You know, when, even when we continue the story of Israel, when you read about Baal and the prophets of Baal, so you had this whole you know, cos- cosmology system of 
ancient gods and pantheons of gods and divine councils of gods that, that they believed. So um, Israel at this time was not monotheistic. Monotheistic means the belief that there is only one God. Uh, they were not monotheistic at this time because they believed that there were many gods. However, they were what is called monolatrists. They believed that even though there was only that there was many gods, they believed there was only one God that was worthy of their worship and worthy of their uh, devotion. And that God was Yahweh. So they recognized the existence of other gods of other nations, hence the gods here uh, in Egypt. Even though later on, as the generations moved on and time moved on, Israel would become monotheistic, that they would not believe in their word, that there were other gods. They believed that there would only be one God, and that would be Yahweh, the God that they worship. You know, Paul would go on to say that these gods that other people had in ancient Greece or whatever, he would say they are no gods at all. They are no gods at all. They are all false, they are all dead, they are all powerless, they, they are nothing, that they are not even real. However, in the ancient world, that wasn't the consensus. The consensus was there are many gods, but our God is the greatest God. Even at the giving of the commandments, you'll find the first commandment, you will have no other gods before me. Uh, it's not put that there are no other gods, that there are no other gods before me. So, so I mean, it's... It, it's it's interesting to read and see, and that's why, you know, to me, the Word of God is so fascinating because it is given in historical particulars. And in the ancient world, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, is not like the world today. So that, that, that's why the Nile River was a god. That's why the sun was a god. So the, the first plague and the ninth plague uh, were direct um, assaults against the gods that the Egyptians trusted in, the god of the Nile. The Nile is the central feature of Egypt at the time. It was their source of, of life. It was their source of identity. Uh, so for Yahweh to take authority over the Nile River and the god of the Nile um, is, is for him to shame the whole nation. And then you have, on the ninth plague, you have the sun god. So you know the, the, the sun was a god to them, and for Yahweh to take control over the sun to bring darkness. You know, it was, you know, it was a direct assault against these, these personal gods that, that Egypt had then. And of course, um, the tenth plague, you know, being over Pharaoh that they saw and recognized as a god. So that's, that's what we see going on here in, in playing here, whereas today, you know, we would say there are no other gods. You know, if somebody's worshiping a god, you know, that's, that's something made up, that's not real, um, that there's only one god. You know, yes, you know, we believe that there are fallen angels and demons and things like that, but they are not gods, so um, at least not in, in the sense of what we're finding here in Exodus. So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting world uh, to read about and to think about and to look at the, the history of it all and... Um, but that's what we're seeing played out here in Exodus. And what is it doing? It's giving victory to God's people. You know, showing that He is the God above what all other gods are. And we see that played out through the prophets of Baal, you know, up through the Old Testament. Um, 
So in the uh, two passages in uh, the Torah, Exodus 12, 12 says, I will, God says, I will mete out punishments to all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. So while this is going on, and admittedly, while this is going on in, in you know, chapters 7 through 11, you know, we don't find direct references to these gods while they're going on. But the first reference that we do see is in Exodus 12, 12, where we have the quote here, um, For I will pass through the land of Egypt, that night I will strike the firstborn, I will execute uh, judgment on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments, I am the Lord. So there is the recognition there. Then you go on to Numbers 33, 4, distinctly states that the Lord executed judgment on their gods. Um, also, and I erased the reference because I was trying to fit it all on these pages, uh, but it's in Jeremiah 24 or 41, something like that, uh, where he mentions uh, judgment against Egypt and their gods. In the apocryphal book, The Wisdom of Solomon, uh, it's understood there that the plagues were a mockery of Egyptian paganism. So that's going to be very important, again, even as we move forward. Because when Israel gets into the promised land, one of the major no-nos is don't worship other gods. And what did they do? Well, they went and they worshiped other gods. Uh, so that's, you know, a major no-no. And, and we see that even played out here. That would carry on even forward. Uh, we talked about the opening and closing calamities in this threefold series, the sun and the... Um, and the Nile River, um, Hapai uh, is the Nile god, Re or Ra is the sun god. Uh, and then you have uh, the second one with frogs um, is the goddess um, Hek. And um, Hek had the head of a frog uh, and also assisted women in their labor, kind of a fertility god there. Uh, so then we have a, a, another handy-dandy chart um, That lists the plagues on one hand, that lists the gods of Egypt, and then just some interesting notes. So, um, so Hapai is the, uh, the water turned to blood in the Nile, especially Hapai is the god or the spirit of the Nile. Um, then you just see some notes. Then you have Hapai and, and Hect there. Seb is the god of the earth. And it just goes on with all the, so you see all the different gods that Egypt had and um, some charts list more gods than, than others, you know, and again, this is, you know, what we're compiling after the fact as we look at uh, scriptural history, as we look at Egyptian history, you know, and kind of putting this together. So, you know, if you're asking for the scripture where, uh, you know, this certain god here was attacked there, you know, it's not there, but as we're reconstructing the story and looking at Egypt's history, looking at the gods that they worship, and looking at how each of these plagues seem to... Uh, seem to go in Egyptian God's territory. Uh, we kind of put these things together and see what is happening here, along with the fact that God is saying, I'm bringing these things upon the um, Egyptian gods. So then as we come to uh, the final plague, uh, what we're going to do is just introduce, if you go to chapter 11, uh, we'll just introduce next week, we're going to, to dig into more detail on the Passover and um, then the exodus, and then eventually going through the Red Sea over to Mount Sinai. 
So we're going to take that journey next week from the Passover to Mount Sinai uh, and the giving of the Ten Commandments and the law. Uh, and then we'll move on from there the next week to talk about the laws and the building of the tabernacle. So we just wanted to introduce these ten plagues today. So the tenth plague is all these have been a buildup to the tenth plague. The tenth plague going all the way back um, to Exodus chapter 4. Let me read Exodus chapter 4. Actually, it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 1, really, uh, when Pharaoh, the, the Pharaoh at the time, told all of the, uh, or told the midwives of the Israelites that when the Israelite women are delivering children, if there's a male child, that they are to kill the child. If they are to let the female children live. Then when they didn't do that, Pharaoh sent out an edict to all of Egypt uh, that all of the male children that were born were to be thrown in the Nile. Uh, and then in chapter 4, verse 22, in Exodus 4.22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my people, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So we see these, the plagues and leading up to the Passover. Number one, the reason is to bring deliverance of God's people from Egypt in order to fulfill the covenant. As we've been, cha- as we've been chasing the covenant promise, tracing the covenant promise all the way from Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and all of the predicaments that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob got into and then the famine that was about to... Um, That could have eradicated the people if they had stayed in Israel, so they went down to Egypt. So the purpose of the plagues and the purpose of the Passover was, number one, to let the people leave Egypt so they can go to the promised land that God would fulfill His covenant to them by giving them the land that He had previously promised He would give to them. And then secondly, it was to bring judgment upon Egypt and Pharaoh and their gods for the way they've treated the Israelites, and especially at the beginning of the, cha- of the book when uh, they had the children killed. So it's extracting justice upon, upon Egypt. So in chapter 11, we have the tenth plague announced. The tenth plague is the final blow. The knockout punch, it is the climactic moment that the previous nine plagues have been moving toward. Uh, in preparation, the Israelites uh, are to ask their Egyptian neighbors for objects of silver and gold. Uh, they would later, which, which the Egyptians, God gave them favor of the Egyptians, and they gave them silver and gold. Uh, and that would come in handy later when they were to construct the tabernacle, uh, although they would also uh, fashion uh, false uh, bull to, uh, with these things. Um, but I want to read, um, beginning in verse number 4, of chapter 11, Exodus 11, verse 4. just want to read a verse, a couple of verses here as we prepare for the tenth plague. So Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. 
from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, again, as what God told him back in 4.23, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the handbill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there never has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, neither man nor beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me, bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. My wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So we find here the foretelling or the announcement of this 10th plague, the death of the firstborn in all of Israel. So we're going to uh, leave the cliffhanger there and find out what happens. I think we all know what happens. Spoiler alert, but uh, we'll find out what happens next week in the preparation for the Passover um, because there's obviously, as we know, there's so much symbolism there in the Passover between the, the blood and the lamb. So uh, definitely don't need to get into that uh, today. So um, we're, you can prepare for that by reading the next few chapters about the Passover and um, the feast and how they'll keep that and remember that. And then we'll pick up in chapter 12 next week.